the book of Romans, and uh, we're just working our way just slowly through it um, over the, over the, the next uh, number of weeks and months. And um, we are in chapter 4, so you can turn there in your Bibles. And we're going to just begin by reading the Word of God. Again, it's a, it's a whole chapter, so just bear with us. But uh, it's important to just to declare God's Word. And that's what we're going to do. So Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, What then shall we say that Abram, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abram was justified by works... He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abram believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abram's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? If it was, if not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of, of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise And he would be heirs of this world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And while there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gave life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are, they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since 
he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It's good stuff, isn't it? Let's just pray. Father, as we come to this passage, Lord, there is so much in here. But Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would speak to our hearts this morning and reveal your word and reveal truth and transform lives. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So last, last week, we, Paul, Paul Jackson explained to us the, the technical term for justification in which your sin was taken by Jesus on the cross and you received his righteousness by faith. A substitution, the great exchange, and the most wonderful, wonderful news. Now in chapter 4, the, the Apostle Paul gives us some examples. So Paul calls two witnesses to support his case. The first is the founder of the Jewish nation. The second is the greatest king of this Jewish nation, Abraham and David, to make the following points. And the first thing he wants to say in verses 1 to 8, you are justified by faith, not by works. You're justified by faith, not by works. I really find it hard to, to watch some of those tragic stories that hit our TV screens from, from time to time, perhaps all too often during where they see wars and, and, and disasters, particularly where kids are involved and they're left with as orphans, maybe just lost absolutely everything. And it's, it's almost impossible to imagine what a young boy of maybe the age of four or five must be feeling alone and scared, just terribly missing mum and dad. There's no way, of course, he can look after himself. So to begin with, he often gets passed around his extended family members, but such as the poverty often in some of those countries that they are unable to provide for him. So he ends up in perhaps an orphanage somewhere. And he's got no idea what's going to happen to him. But one day, a couple, unable to have children of their own, turn up and they want to adopt. In fact, they want to bring this young lad up as their own. But as he stands in front of them for the first time, he, he just doesn't know what to think. He's both excited, but probably scared, but, but also he's, more than anything else, he's got questions. What sort of people are they? Where will he be living? What will his new family be like? And he's got no idea what to expect. And what Paul is saying here, that's a little bit like us when we put our trust in Jesus, when we are justified because we are welcomed into a new family, God's family, through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the best way in which we can understand this whole chapter is to think 
family. And just like that orphan boy who gets a new home, who gets new clothes, who gets food, who gets washed clean, all given to him. You see, his parents are not thinking for a moment that he's going to somehow have to earn his keep. No, this is graciously given to him by his new loving mum and dad. And when you come to Jesus, you come with nothing to offer. You come just as you are, and your, your, your clothes are torn, they're in tatters, but you get new clothes from Jesus' account. Yes, from Jesus' bank account. He clothes you with his righteousness. You come in dirty and stained by sin, but you are washed clean. Washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. You come into a new home, into an eternal home, and guess who pays for that? Well, Jesus has already paid everything through his death on the cross. And Paul says that the kind of people that God declares righteous are people of faith. That's it. People of faith. And to prove this point, Paul calls his first witness. He calls Abraham. Now to the Jews in the church of Rome, there was nobody more important than Abraham. He was the founding father of the family of God's covenant people, but importantly, Abraham did not work for his salvation. He simply trusted in God. He put his hope in God. And Paul is saying here that it was Jesus who did the work on the cross. And it was his righteousness that was put on Abraham's account. Yes, all those years before the cross Abram was justified through Christ. And guess what? Jesus is doing exactly the same thing today. And the cross stands outside of time. And it reaches right the way back to the beginning of time. It reaches all the way forward to the end of time. In fact, it reaches into eternity. And Paul's point is that justification by faith is not some new idea that's just linked, but that is actually linked into God's promise to Israel and that all believers are part of the same covenant family and there's only one way in by faith. In other words, knowing God has never, has never been about obeying laws it is established by faith alone. It's true of Abraham, and listen, it's true of you and me as well. And all Abraham did was put his trust in God, and God declared this ungodly pagan man to be right. He started off as an ungodly non-Jew. That's where God met him, but it wasn't where he left him. He was called into a covenant relationship with God. And to reinforce his point, Paul gives us an example, an example that's very normal for us today as well. In verse 4, it's about work. So we ran a business for, for about 16 years, and in all that time, none of our employees ever came to us to thank us for paying them. Not once. Didn't expect them to, to be fair, because when you do a hard day's work, you expect to get paid. However, at Christmas time, when we would give them a gift, that was very different because all of them would come and say thank you. Because you know yourself, when you receive something that you don't expect or that you don't deserve, you're full of gratitude, you're full of thankfulness. Listen, God 
invites you into his family. And it is undeserved and it is freely given. And the right response to such amazing news, to such an amazing gift, is thankfulness. An obedient heart. But Paul then calls a second witness, and it's David. In verse 7 and 8, he quotes from Psalm 32. And, and David wrote this psalm. It's a psalm of confession after his terrible sin with Bathsheba. He slept with this woman who, of course, wasn't his wife and then went on to kill her husband. But he makes these two amazing statements. He declares great joy because God forgives sin. And David needed to be forgiven, just like we need to be forgiven. And then he goes on to say that he acknowledges the gift of righteousness that doesn't depend on work. And this is the gospel. This is justification. Your record is wiped clean of your sins and you're filled with Christ's perfect righteousness. Now, of course, we all sin. We we continue to sin. And those sins do need to be forgiven if you are to fellowship with God. But those sins are not held against you. No record is kept. And the glorious truth is that by faith, your sins have been forgiven. They've been covered over. They are not calculated. The debt is cleared, not just back down to zero, but you're filled with credit. Have you ever been in debt? you ever sort of gone overdrawn in the bank? I'm sure most of us have. you ever wanted somebody just to come in and just clear your debt completely? Well, God does exactly that, but he doesn't stop just there. He then puts you right into the credit as well, right into the black. And David was celebrating this a thousand years before the cross. How much more should we? Wouldn't you ever ask yourself the question or think about it? Why will I get to heaven? It's worth thinking about. See, anything that relies on you is not saving faith. And only saving faith is actually going to get you to heaven. So if you're trying to be good, that's not saving faith. Actually, but even your faith is not the answer. If you think, if I just believe in God with all of my heart and just try really hard, that is not saving faith because you're relying on yourself. You cannot do this. But Abram understood this. Perhaps what we need to fully understand. He is able to say, I am certain of heaven because God has promised to save me and he keeps his promises. That's what he's certain about. That is what will save us. That will bring us through to eternity. And this is the unshakable truth that Paul is declaring. You're justified by faith, not by works. And that, my friends, is good news this morning. The second thing that he's saying in chapter and verses 9 to 17 is that you're justified by grace not by laws one of the most symbolic moments in a wedding service is, is the giving and receiving of rings and I've got to admit that I've virtually forgotten everything that was said during our wedding ceremony um, but I really remember very clearly that moment when I put the ring on Rachel's finger And that one act declared to Rachel and to everybody else looking on that a new relationship had begun, that a new covenant had been made, and that there was no going back. This ring was a sign and the seal of a covenant. A covenant that speaks of endless love. 
In a similar way, when God entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham, he gave him a sign. And this time the sign of this covenant was circumcision. But circumcision has become a big problem in the, in the Roman church because the Jewish Christians were telling the Gentile Christians that they needed to get circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, you've got it wrong. And he gives them one very good reason. Abraham was declared righteous when he wasn't circumcised. So from the Jewish point of view, he's a Gentile. In fact, it wasn't until he was 99 years old that he was circumcised many years after he put his trust in God and actually believed in the promises of God. And the conclusion is obvious. Circumcision has got nothing to do with justification. It was faith, not circumcision, that is the key. And it's faith, not some religious act, that is the key. Circumcision is simply a sign. It's just similar to my wedding ring. It's a reminder that God has given the promise and that he would keep it. Today, of course, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and we have the spiritual circumcision of the heart. Paul talked about that back in chapter 2, if you remember. So it's not faith plus circumcision or faith plus religious activity that will make you right with God. It is faith alone. Faith alone. And Paul is building up this picture for us of what sort of family we're coming into. And God's family is not about physically being a descendant of Abraham. And it's not about being circumcised or being religious. But God, but, but Paul doesn't also want to give the impression that it's simply for the uncircumcised or for the, for the Gentiles only. He's also the father of the circumcised who have come to God by faith as well. But the important point is this. Everybody comes in the same way. Through the same door. By faith. By faith. And Paul has redefining or has redefined the, 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 the family of Abraham in two ways. He's opened up the family so that it includes Gentiles as well as Jews who believe in the gospel. But at the same time he's narrowed it down so it no longer includes Jews automatically. And this would be massively controversial, at least if you are a Jew it would have been. And God is redefining boundaries and covenants and the message is strong, it's clear. Membership to Abram's family is based on faith alone in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. This was the great covenant renewing act of the one true God. And this means that every church should have wide open front doors. The entrance to our churches should be massive so that to let people of every ethnic group, of every family type, of every geographical location and background, churches should be diverse, they should be multi-ethnic, and it's faith in Jesus that holds us all together as we proclaim the one who died, the one who rose again as our Lord. The life-giving God calls you into this new family, and everybody comes on the same terms. In the same way. It is by grace alone that we are saved. You seeing a pattern coming here? Hopefully. You know, it's just as well as by grace alone, is it not? Because not even the Jews could keep the law, never mind the Gentiles. And, and Paul points, Paul's point is that Abraham didn't have the law before he was justified. 
He was justified by believing God's promises, not by obeying the law. See, the promise to Abraham was purely through God's grace. Before the law was ever thought about or given to Moses, so Abraham couldn't earn it, he didn't deserve it. And the same thing applies to you and to me today. God saves you when you believe in his glorious promises, not because you've obeyed some law. See, all the law will do will be to reveal the problem. Only Jesus is the solution. So it's not faith plus obedience that makes us right with God. It is grace alone, through Christ alone. The third thing that Paul is saying here in verses 18 to 25 is that you're justified by resurrection power, not by human effort. 17 years ago, we sold up everything we had and we living in Northern Ireland at the time, we moved across the Irish Sea, we arrived in, in Nantwich in England and we started a new business. And we spent every single penny we had and the rest on this startup. The first few months were, were, were touch and go, to be honest. We, we worked hard. We hoped that we were going to make enough money just to pay, for our, to pay our creditors at the end of those first three months. And deep down, we, we thought we could do this. But actually, there were certainly moments of, of doubt all the way along. And we're just thankful to God. God was gracious. God provided for us in that step. But that was a small step in comparison to the ridiculous faith and the hope of Abraham. Because he left his home. He left his family. He goes somewhere. He doesn't even know what the destination is. And time is going past. And he's getting older and older. And by now, his, his, he and his wife are, are reaching a, a grand old age of, of nearly, I guess, nearly 100 years old. And they're childless. Now everybody knows that couples don't have babies at the age of 100. It's at this point that God makes the seemingly impossible promise in Genesis chapter 15 verse 5. Look up to the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. It's not surprising that Sarah laughed. But Abraham had faith in God who promises impossible things and then accomplishes them. And listen, that is the impressive faith that is at the very heart of God's family. Of our family, if we are part of it. That was hope against hope. But Abram's faith goes even deeper because Abram is not simply believing that God exists or even that God is going to bless him, which of course he does, or even that God is good and holy, which of course he is, but that God whom Abram knew and trusted and lived for is the one who gives life to the dead. This is resurrection power. And to believe in God is to look at what God has said and to let that define the reality of your life. Not other things, not other circumstances, not what's going on around the surface, but to look at God and look at the promises of God and let that define your reality today. And living by faith or living as men and women of faith, it means not going on our feelings or on appearances. So in verse 19, see, Abram's not a fool. You know, he's not, he's not crazy. 
he knows when he looks in the mirror, he knows when he looks at his wife, that the idea of them having a son is impossible. But he doesn't go on appearances. He doesn't trust in himself. He trusts in God. That's where he puts his hope and his faith. What about you this morning? What about you? When you're facing a difficult challenge in your life at this moment, where are you going to put your trust? Are you going to get swayed by the situations and the circumstances? Are you going to rest on the promises of God and on God himself? And what Christ has done for you. See, faith should be, in fact, is at the very heart of who we are as Christians. It's in our DNA as God's family. It's who we are. The second thing, if you're a man or woman of faith, is you focus on facts about God. God is powerful. Verse 21. Now, Abram knew that God had created everything, so therefore it's logical for him, it's not too difficult to jump, for him to think that if this God can create everything, surely he had also got the power to put life into Sarah's womb. Now, faith is not the absence of thinking, but it's thinking hard about what is true about God and applying that to our lives. And if you don't already... Align yourselves with godly truth. Get to know God. Spend time in God's presence. Let your gaze be lifted to the glory, to the magnitude, to the wonder of the God who does the impossible. The third thing you want to be a man or woman of faith is trusting the word of God. Verse 21 says, God had power to do what he had promised. And believing in God is to trust and to live by what he has promised. And to take him at his word even when our feelings, our popular opinion, or for that matter even common sense seems to contradict his promise. God doesn't fit into your nice little frameworks. You can't patch him into a little box somewhere and keep him off to the side and then bring him back and play when you you think you might need him. God does not work to your time scale or to your agenda. But he can be trusted. And it's this type of faith that God credits as righteousness. You ever wondered why God delayed in giving Abram and Sarah a son? Well, one reason was so that all natural strength was just gone. Having a child was a reproductive impossibility. But Abram didn't walk by sight. He walked by faith. And so Paul says that this rejuvenation of Abraham and Sarah's childless body is a picture of the resurrection from the dead, pointing to the greatest power ever, to Christ's resurrection power. Through Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. You believe that? Through Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. Listen, this is true of all of us who come by faith to God. Do you remember back to that moment when you first received Jesus into your life? God waited until you realized that you were dead and unable to help yourself because of sin before he released his saving power. See, if you think you're strong enough, To please God, you can't be saved by grace. It's only when you confess that you're spiritually dead and unable to help yourself that God's power will save you. Remember Romans 1.16? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not my power. It's not your power. It's God's power. 
He is the one that does the work in your life. He is the one who brings the change in your life. And the resurrection of Jesus is proof that sinners can be justified. This is such good news. This is wonderful news. The key, of course, if you believe. It's only for those who believe in Christ. You're justified by faith. The object of that faith is Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again. And incredibly, Abram understood this and had this sort of faith when he had nobody else to talk to. He had no Bible. He had no books. He had no sermons. He had no podcasts. All he had was a simple promise from God. Yet he believed God. But a promise from God is enough. Is it not? So in your situations and circumstances today, I don't know what you're going through at the moment. Can you believe in God, in the promises of God? Can you put your hope in him, the one who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? Can you put your hope in someone who gave his life for you, who died for your sins, who rose again, the one who reigns gloriously on high, And God's truth should define the reality of your life today. See, God is the God of the impossible. And it's by faith that you're justified. You're adopted into God's family. That you're clothed in his righteousness. That you're made clean through his precious blood. That you receive a home, an eternal home. Listen, this family is a family surely that you want to be part of. Is it not? God's family. The truth is that all the evil and the injustices of this world were placed on Jesus. And on the cross, the sins of this world were paid for. The resurrection is proof of this. So that those who believe in him really can be adopted into God's covenant family. By faith, by grace, by resurrection power, you're part of the single worldwide family promised to Abraham. And all you have to do is believe. Is believe. Do you? Have you put your trust in Christ? Do you know the hope of eternity? The hope of life? Do you love him? Listen, we should be just rejoicing in such wonderful news, the wonderful gospel, the wonderful truth of all that Christ has done for us. So this morning I want to encourage us men and women of faith, we need to rise up in our workplaces. We need to rise up in our schools and our colleges and our universities. We need men and women of faith to stand up and be strong and stand on the promises of God that do not fail, that do not change, that whatever comes against us, God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, we have a God who is the God of the impossible. So in those situations and circumstances you face at the moment, God is the God of the impossible. The God of miracles. He is the God of hope. Let's stand together. Let's pray. We'll invite the worship team back just to finish with a song, if that's okay. Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the glorious truth that you have set us free from our sin. We thank you for the gospel, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, we are justified by faith alone in Christ 
alone, Lord, by the resurrection power. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the glorious wonder, Lord, that we, Lord, sinners as we are, Lord, have been made righteous and clean before a holy God, that we know that our identity is secure in Christ. And Father, we rejoice in you. Father, as we lift our voices to sing and to celebrate, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, Lord God, just allow this word, this truth, to rest deeper than our hearts today. Father, I pray for anybody who does not know you this morning. Father, by your Spirit, you would just come and just change their heart. Lord, we pray for transformation this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, by the Spirit of the living God, fall, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.